the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I think we're going to have to remember September 11 in its reality, much the same way as we have to remember other horrific events in our history. Because somehow I think it pushes the human consciousness toward finding ways to avoid this in the future. But if you, um, if you, if you censor it too much, if you try to find too many euphemisms for what happened, then I think you rob people of the ability to actually relive it and therefore motivate them to prevent it from happening in the future. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the September 11th tribute to the main event. I recorded this show the first time in September of 2008, my first year on the air with the main event. It's a combination of clips from uh, speeches and documentaries and, uh, and newsreels and movie clips and some music to help you relive the emotions and the day that changed America, that changed the world, and uh, changed many of our lives. I lost a high school friend that was on Flight 77 that hit the Pentagon, so you can bet it had a profound uh, effect on my life. Don and I visited uh, Ground Zero for the first time in October of 2002, which was probably the most emotional, patriotic experience of our entire lives, that trip to New York. And we've been there at least 10 times since. This uh, project took hours and hours and hours to put together. I can dare you to try and keep dry eyes listening to this 25 minutes. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did putting it together. I'm interested in your comments. Send your comments to ed at edhoffman.net. Enjoy. On a perfect, almost achingly beautiful late summer morning in early September 2001, a day of seemingly infinite visibility, one man later said, characterized by the rare and exquisite flying conditions airline pilots call severe clear. Life in New York and much of the rest of the contemporary world was changed irrevocably in the space of less than two hours. September 11, 2001 was the worst day in the history of the city. Everyone in the city should remain calm. The very best thing to do right now would be to remain home. I could see from the very beginning with the number of casualties and the tremendous damage that was done. And even the thought that we'd probably be attacked again during that period of time that this was it's going to be really, really difficult. I'd ask the people of New York City to do everything that they can to cooperate, not to be frightened, to go about their lives as normal. Everything is safe right now in the city. And the people who are doing the relief effort need all the help they can get. At 9.02 a.m., little more than 15 minutes after the attack, millions of people in the metropolitan region and tens of millions more across the country and around the world were staring intently at the smoldering skyline of Lower Manhattan. When a dark shape 
appeared on the horizon above the New Jersey lowlands and came hurtling across the upper bay. And then all of a sudden, I saw a, a big explosion of fire. And at that point, we all concluded, obviously, it was, it, was a it was a terrorist attack. I think that was the first point at which I realized that we were into something different than any, any of us had ever prepared for, or any of us had ever thought we would live through. I realized I was in some kind of a horrible, awful, horrific human experience. I hear people say, we don't need this war. But I say there's some things worth fighting for. What about our freedom and this piece of ground? We didn't get to keep them by backing down. They say we don't realize the mess we're getting in. Before you start your preaching, let me ask you this, my friend. Have you forgotten how it felt that day? The resolve of our great nation is being tested, but make no mistake, we will show the world that we will pass this test. God bless. I don't know if you guys know it yet, this country's in war. Listen, I'm not, I'm not taking any more chances. We got stuff flying around we have no control over. And I don't want to board full of these planes hitting every building on the East Coast. This is a national emergency. Everyone lands regardless of destination. That's going to cost billions. Just do it. We have hundreds of international flights coming in. They're already in the air. No, no I, don't, I don't want any more international flights crossing the borders. And they don't have to go back where they came from. Nobody's coming into the country from now on. Everyone? Everyone. Shut off the East Coast. Shut off all the internationals from Europe. Shut off South America. Shut off the West Coast. Nothing over the top either. Right, Canada? Canada? Yeah, Canada too. Can shut down the airspace? I can't accept it, Nobody takes off. Take a moment. Think about this. We're going to put. We're going to shut down the entire country right now. That's right. Listen, we're at war with someone, and until we figure out what to do about it, we're shutting down. That's it. We're finished. This was an attack intended to destroy us, because we are a country that's built on principles of freedom and because of free will people get a chance to distinguish themselves this wonderful american civilization emerges which isn't based on any ethnic group it isn't based on any one race it isn't based on any one religion it's based on people believing in freedom we heard things hitting the sidewalk and i thought it was debris and i think we all thought it was debris and the windows on the west side of the building had already been blown out so as i walked towards those windows I realized it wasn't the breathe. These were people, people who were so desperate that they had jumped from whatever stories and they were landing. And it was a, a constant, the shrill of the pop as they hit the ground. And think about people so desperate that they would, they would choose that, that way to die. And they had to know they were going to die. There's no way of, of surviving. And that, that image will never leave. A mother described to me talking to her son on the telephone when the second plane hit. And that's the last time she talked to him. Another family described to me how their loved one had let two elevators go because he was older and the people in the elevator were younger. 
And somehow my, my, my mind went back to the stories and the things you read about the Titanic or you know, people who allowed other people to get on, get on boats and they didn't get on the boat because they were older. And from that moment on, I started thinking that we'll never know all the heroes. We know our uniform people were heroes. They went there and they died and they gave up their lives bravely trying to save the lives of other people. But what we don't know are all the individual stories of the person who gave up the elevator for another person, the person who calmed someone and got them out of the building, the person who organized their floor so that everybody could evacuate, the person who maybe at the last, in the last moments comforted people when all of them knew they were going to die. We've got over 300 firefighters that are missing that uh, we can't account for. We believe that many of, uh, many of them are, 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 are gone. We don't, um, we'll keep looking. Uh, we have hundreds of people over there now trying to find as many possible locations that they might be in, in some way, in a void or whatever, and, um, you know, still be able to breathe and, and still alive. But we believe that uh, most of these people, I think, are, are going to be uh, un unable to, to pull out. Pastor, I gotta go down there. Where? New York. You can't. Only emergency responders are being allowed in. I spent my best years with the Marines. God gave me a gift to be able to help people to defend our country. I feel him calling on me now for this mission. And then find a way to listen, Dave. And I started thinking about the people that might be trapped. Are there people trapped? If they are trapped, can they survive? And I remember thinking, this, I, this is like being in hell. Today is uh, obviously one of the most difficult days in the history of the city and the country. The tragedy that uh, we're all undergoing right now is something that we've had nightmares about, but probably thought wouldn't happen. My heart goes out to all of the innocent victims of this horrible and vicious act of terrorism, acts of terrorism. And our focus now has to be on saving as many lives as possible. What's the status here? Search has been called off. This whole thing is crap, man. Our guys are in there. They're dying in there. Looks like God made a curtain with the smoke, shielding us from what we're not yet ready to see. Do we know the number of casualties at this point, sir? I don't, I don't think we, we really want to speculate about that. The number of casualties will be more than any, any of us can bear, ultimately. And I don't think we want to speculate on the number of casualties. The effort now has to be to save as many people as possible. United States Marines, anyone can hear me, yell or tap. Some of the information was too brutal. I think I said that day that I don't think people could handle the full implications. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me that best husband was Terry Haddon, who was, the, who was the captain of Rescue One. And I looked over and I said to her, Is, was Terry working today? And she said, yes. And his tears came down her eyes. She looked at me and she said, he's dead. And I got angry. I said, you don't know that, Beth. You don't know that. And she said, yeah, I know that. I felt it and I know that. 
I was standing on the steps of City Hall. We all looked up, and I knew that Terry would have been one of and one of the, the highest floor that he could get to in that building because that's just what his company does. And when I saw the building come down, I knew that he had no chance. His friend Tim told me that he saw Terry going in, and Terry said to him, "We may not be seeing each other again," and kissed him on the cheek, and ran up the stairs. We lost all those firemen. We lost police. We had this fantastic contradiction of people who hated you so much that they were willing to give up their life to take yours. And people who loved humanity so much that they were willing to run into the Don Building, in the smoke and flame, and just to save the life of somebody they never met. And that ineffably beautiful. There's no better definition of love. There's no. There's no more inspirational, no more inspiring, no more near to saintly conduct that you can think of than what they demonstrated. We, everybody should, in their own way, say say a prayer. Ask God for help and for assistance, and uh, and also ask God to give us the strength to overcome this. Because I know we're, we're going to need strength to overcome it. And I want the people of New York to be an example to the rest of the country and the rest of the world that terrorism can't stop us. American democracy is much stronger than uh, vicious, cowardly terrorists, and we're going to overcome it. If you can hear me, yell or tap. We hear you. Ah! Keep yelling. Eight thirteen, BNPD down. Gotcha. Hang on, hang on, okay. Don't leave it. We've been here a long time. We're not leaving you, buddy. We're Marines. You are our mission. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. He took all the footage off my TV. Said it's too disturbing for you and me. It'll just breed anger That's what the experts say If it was up to me, I'd show it every day Some say this country's just out looking for a fight Well, after 9-11, man, I'd have to say that's right Have you forgotten how it felt that day? Towers fail. We had neighbors still inside, going through a living hell. And we vowed to get the ones behind Ben Laden. Have you forgotten? I want you all to know that America today, America today, is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here. For the workers who work here, for the families who mourn, this nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people 
knock these buildings down, we'll hear all of us soon. Chase Stadium served as a staging area for rescue supplies. And the New York Mets baseball team, overlooking its exalted status, banded together with other volunteers. We got a, we got a box of T-shirts here. People came in from Wall Street who had walked home, and two days later, you know, I need to do something. I have to help. What can I do? I had that same feeling that, that so many uh, other Americans had. of just to, I needed to do something. The Yankees, too, pitched in. Following the team's first post-9-11 gathering, manager Joe Torrey led a group of players on a goodwill trip downtown. We went to the armory, which was the most emotional, and we didn't really know if we should be there. This is where families were all gathered to wait on word if their loved ones were alive. And if they weren't alive, uh, evidence that they weren't alive. So they were doing DNA samplings. I, I remember one very poignant moment when Bernie Williams went up to this woman and he was sort of fumbling and he, and he says, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. He says, but you look like you need a hug. And he put his arms around her and I, and I think sort of broke the ice to see that, you know, these people needed this. And I think at that point in time, I realized that there was a role for us. But I'll never forget where I was, and I'll never forget that day. And I remember taking a bus home at night, about 11.30, at Amsterdam on 116th Street. And how quiet the street was. There was an eerie silence, like nothing I'd seen in more than 30 years of working there. And then I remember when the bus came that there was a sign around the little box there that said no fare today and I remember sitting on the bus and sitting opposite a young woman who was just crying and I remember when I got off the bus at 83rd Street she was still crying I remember just putting my hand on her shoulder and I said nothing and she said nothing and I got off but I'll always remember that woman we have to cry and we have to mourn and we have to feel terrible and awful. And on the way over here, I cried in my van because I had to go to the morgue to identify some. But I, the tears have to make you stronger. Every time you cry, you have to remember that we're right and they're wrong. In the aftermath of September 11th, the mood of the country changed. Baseball games became communal gathering places for fans to express their emotions. And as much of the country turned a sympathetic eye to New York... The Red Sox ask you to join us in a tribute to the spirit of the people of New York. The city's baseball teams became the objects of affection. I could not, under any circumstances, ever imagine cheering for the Yankees. But I think America's sense of New York changed in September 11th and, and the days afterwards. The face of New York changed. It was 343 New York firefighters who walked into the fires of hell to save strangers. And it becomes very difficult to hate the Yankees. Another reason for the heightened security 
was the appearance of a guest from Washington. All of a sudden, there was a knock at the door, and President Bush walked into our room. Well, when you're president, all you have to do is say you're showing up, and they kind of ask you to throw out the first pitch, no matter what time of year it is. So I go underneath the Yankee Stadium, in the bowels of Yankee Stadium, and there's a hitting cage there. And he's wearing his bulletproof jacket, and he's getting his arm loose, and Derek Jeter comes up to him. So I just asked him if he was going to be throwing the first pitch from the mound or in front of the mound. The president said, I don't think I'll throw from the base of the mound. Jeter said, I wouldn't do that if I were you, Mr. President. And I told him, uh, you better throw it from the mound, otherwise you're going to get booed. I said, this, this is Yankee Stadium. I said, okay, I'll throw from the mound. And he's walking out, and he looks over his shoulder, and he says, don't bounce it, they'll boo you. All of a sudden, the pressure mounted. The president of the United States. I'd never felt what I'd felt before when I walked out of that dugout. I felt the raw emotion of the Yankee fans. USA! 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 The crowd just erupts in a chant of USA. There is nothing like it that I've ever experienced at a ball game. It, it was overwhelming. It was just overwhelming. President Bush is standing out there like a brick wall. I'm not afraid of terrorists. I'm going to stand all out here. I'm going to give you a thumbs up. And I'm going to throw a strike. I didn't vote for him, but at that point, my personal feelings about him as a politician is gone. I watched him, and he was my representative, and I had never felt that way before. Very nice throw, Mr. President. Good stuff, good stuff. At that moment, everybody there was there for baseball and to show the world that in spite of what can happen to us, We'll pull ourselves together, and what is our life and our way of life will continue. United, we stand. We stand together in the face of this threat. We will play baseball in the midst of the, the beginnings of this war. No matter what the threat may be to us, the United States of America will stand strong and will never be intimidated. Have you forgotten all the people killed? Yes, some went down like heroes In that Pennsylvania field Have you forgotten About our Pentagon All the loved ones that we lost And those left to carry on Don't you tell me not to worry about Ben Laden Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? One of the tricks in life is to convert everything into good. You're a sculptor and you have a stone and the stone has a scar in it. And well, so now you have to sculpt around that scar and you've got to use that scar to, to make it part of whatever it is you're going to produce that's beautiful. And um, work with what you have, play it as it lies. You know? So whatever the circumstance, you know, use it for good purpose. 9-11, how can you possibly use it for good purpose? You think about it. You think as uh, we've suggested before, you think about, look, 
What this reminds you of is the importance of your own life and making the most of it because you, you can lose it in a flash. And if that's all you learned from 9-11, if that's all you remembered, that, my God, you could extinguish life so suddenly, so unexpectedly, and it could happen to me, and therefore I should think harder about the way I spend my life instead of just wasting it. Now, it's not going to teach you what to do with your life, but it will teach you to do with your life. God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and die the night with a light from above, from the mountains to the breast. Thanks for listening to the September 11th tribute on the main event. I'm interested in your comments. Email them to me at ed at edhoffman.net. Also, if you want to share this tribute with anybody, you can find the podcast at edhoffman.net. Stay tuned for uh, the second half of my show coming up in, after five minutes of traffic, weather, and commercials. the main event my name's ed hoffman with summit funding we opened up the second half with uh, two tickets to paradise in memoriam in memory of mr eddie money who we lost friday morning he had two tickets to paradise he lost his fight with uh, cancer uh friday morning and age 70 way too young Hopefully he was a God-fearing man, and uh, he had one ticket to paradise this time, and uh, he's up in rock and roll heaven. Uh, we will miss him and all his uh, great songs from the from the 70s and the early 80s. Uh, former N- uh, NYPD officer that left the police department to rock, and rock he did. <clears throat> so, uh, Eddie, in... Uh, we won't forget you. You're living the music. 
Hey, so uh, we did our uh, our first half, our September 11th tribute. And uh, for those of you, uh, I have some people tell me they like it when I tell tell them uh, where my movie clips come from. Uh, just so that so you know, all the clips in in that tribute, um, the two movies I pulled actual movie clips from are World Trade Center and United 93. And the majority of the rest of it came from uh, uh, a series of documentaries that Don and I bought at uh, at Ground Zero the first year that we that we went there, and then a, a National Geographic special that had had a lot of newsreels and stuff on it that we clipped individual clips from, and uh, and of course, uh, uh, have you forgotten uh, the country song? Um, which if I if I come up with it right now, I'll tell you who sang it, but I can't on the spur of the moment because uh, I thought everybody knew who that was. Anyway, I'll think of it. Uh, Dan, help me out with this. Dan doesn't know it either. He doesn't do country. <clears throat> All right. Anyway. Um, so anyway, uh, so we did, we did that tribute, but I got a few more, few more items on, uh, on nine 11, my friend, Joey Jones, who I can't have on the radio anymore. Cause he's an official Fox news contributor. Um, and, uh, apparently his contract excludes him from being to be on any other media other than Fox. Um, but I do talk to him on the phone two or three times a year and we text back and forth. Um, he was on Fox's outnumbered on Wednesday and he said something that puts the 18th anniversary of the attack into perspective. Everyone that turned 18 today now has a deciding vote in everything we do in this country. And they were the people that were born on that day. So the, the way I see it and the way I understand it is I'm happy to take a victory lap. As a service member who fought these wars and knowing that we haven't had a major incident like that on this soil since then, mm-hmm. I think that's important. We don't celebrate enough. As a matter of fact, all we do is criticize it because we haven't been able to plant a yeah. flag in the center of Afghanistan and call it safe. It's but we're safe here, and we're safe here not because, not just because we inspect each other going on the airplanes, but because of what men and women do mm-hmm. all over this world every day to gather intelligence and thwart people's will, not just their plans and intelligence, but to thwart people's will to come to this country and try to do something. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Joey, uh, don't, don't watch Fox News. Uh, he enlisted in the Marines right after graduating high school, um, severely wounded in a bomb explosion. He was a, a bomb tech. Uh, he says he he uh, he uh, uh, disarmed the 81st bomb with his feet, um, lost both legs uh, above the knee, and suffered injuries to his right forearm and both wrists. Um, so he's actually been here in the studio with us, and he's uh, <clears throat> he's a great guy. Um, but he wrote an article that I'll actually post the whole article on edhoffman.net. Um, but let me just read part of it. He wrote an opinion article on uh, on Wednesday. He put he said, "I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing, and what went through my mind on September 11, 2001, when I learned the terrorist attacks on our country, just as the millions millions of other Americans remember. What I remember most is that the horror of it all—that nearly 3,000 people died, didn't register, just didn't sink in until later that week." For those of you who've played football or other sports, you know that you eat, sleep, and breathe it. I remember lying on my back in Georgia, in the Georgia heat, sweating in my pads during high school football practice, looking up at the sky and seeing no planes flying, no exhaust trails. I remember thinking that after this one terrible event, football didn't, didn't inspire, it didn't motivate, it just didn't mean as much to me. I realized in that moment there were people working, training, and fighting for something more more than points on a scoreboard. They were fighting to preserve America's freedom and our way of life. They were fighting for me, for my family, for my friends, for everyone in our country. So for this high school sophomore, 9-11 gave me a reason and a purpose for my life. 
In the dust and rubble of the enormous tragedy came a uniting spirit of survival that spread across America, unparalleled in history since Pearl Harbor and my grandparents' generation. I think it was my grandparents' generation, Joey, so I think it was your great-grandparents' generation. The September 11th attacks were more than an act of war. They were awakening for the entire free world. With a broken heart and a resilient spirit, America took to the fight to the evil enemy. We showed the world that our nation was capable of righteous retaliation, and we were, and we were willing to fight for America's freedom and to defend our nation. We banded together and found patriotism where it had been forgotten. We found pride, pride in ourselves and our differences, we, understanding that our diversity is our strength, where perhaps ignorance and fear had lived for too long. A small-town boy from Georgia, I raised my right hand and proudly joined the Marines, where I learned to love Americans of all races, religions, and upbringings. Whether we were Republicans or Democrats from big cities or small towns, from different regions, different races, rich and poor, none of it mattered. We were simply and righteously Americans. The people of the United States were truly united, and none more than those of us who volunteered to serve in the uniform in, in defense of our country we love. Uh, I'll put the whole article. It goes on, it goes on for about uh, three more pages, and it's, it's really touching. And... Uh, for those of you that aren't touched by 9-11, um, maybe you're too young to remember it. I don't know. But uh, it's, we, it, it's sad that it feels like it just became another day. You know, it went, went on, went, went past this week and without a lot of, if, if you weren't, if you weren't, if you weren't looking for it, it didn't, it didn't get in your face this year to me. Um, and for those of you that are interested in uh, in sharing that uh, tribute, you can find it on my website edhoffman.net. Um, you can find it. You can find this week's show, the podcast on edhoffman.net. You can also find specifically the nine eleven tribute, just the first half hour. If you wanna, if you wanna share that, uh, edhoffman.net. Go to podcast. I think there's a separate uh, link. Just go to the menu, and there's a nine eleven tribute there, and then there's also the podcast of all the shows. So uh, get this one media outlet. Uh, wants 9-11 to be remembered as an attack committed by faceless, nameless flying machines. Not Islamic terrorists. It's the New York Times. They tweeted out, 18 years have passed since airplanes took aim and brought down the World Trade Center. Today, families will once again gather and grieve at the site where more than 2,000 people died. Yeah, that's like guns. Guns kill people in El Paso and Dayton and everywhere else. After a backlash, the tweet was, you guessed it, deleted. It's amazing. It's amazing the the uh, ignorance of of uh, the democratic uh, uh, mainstream media. Meanwhile, we can be grateful for the families of 9/11 victims who are willing to speak out against the cowardice. Uh, at at the annual Ground Zero Memorial on Wednesday, which for those of you that aren't aware, every uh, Every uh, 9/11, they have a they have a big ceremony at at the uh, at Ground Zero, which is the site where the two uh, World Trade Center towers fell. Which today is a uh, are two big memorial. Um, I don't know if you call them fountains, but they're they're big bronze, uh, big bronze um, memorial with all the names of everybody who died on the planes in the buildings. Uh, first responders at the Pentagon in the in flight uh, 93 that hit uh, Shanksville, uh, the the field in Pennsylvania, Shanksville, and the people that were on the plane that hit the Pentagon, and 
and they outline the the foundation of the of the two towers and then there's a there's water that flows down into them it, they're they're really beautiful in there and uh for those of you that know anybody with a uh that that lost their lives that day i i lost my friend chris newton uh that i knew in high school and um uh, and every year that we go there don and i find his name and uh, and uh and then as well as we go to uh, the Pentagon, they have a there's a ceremony there every 9/11 that uh Trump made a made a good speech. I don't have any clips from it this week. But uh he he made a a, a very touching speech there and at the memorial on the side of, on the west side of the building where uh they made a uh, a garden with with benches and with the name each bench has a name of a of someone who died there. And for those people that were in the building, the benches the benches are uh, are shaped like uh, there's a bench and it has one side that goes into the ground and there's a little there's a little uh, a fountain under it. And for for the people that died coming in on the plane, the uh, the benches kind of point towards the building, and the, for the people that were in the building, they point out towards the the outside of it. And uh, it's uh, also also a beautiful memorial. And um, so uh, for those of you that haven't been to Washington, D.C. or to New York to see these things, um, it's a very historic place and it's very uh, it's very moving. And uh, I can't I, I have then there's and at the ground zero, there's also the the uh, 9-11 uh, museum now, which is a little bit. uh they, you know, from what Don and I saw in 2002, you had the church across the street that's I think is the longest standing, uh, continuously used building in the United States. There's a church across the street from Ground Zero, and it's got a big uh, wrought iron gates around it. And there's memorials, people that put shirts from different places and 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 uh, wrote letters. And we were there a month after the first anniversary. We were there on. Uh, October 10th, 2002. And there were still letters from kids. My dad was a firefighter. He was a hero. He saved people, um, you know, writing letters to their, to their, uh, uh, in memories of their parents and, uh, people from, uh, fire departments that drove Hemet, California. Uh, Hey, we're your brothers. We're here for you. And people that came from all over the country to help dig people out of the rubble. And, um, it's moving to say the least you go to the, the, uh, museum. Now, a lot of the stuff there were, there were, there used to be, uh, posters up there missing, uh, two brother, a brother and a sister. He worked on the 83rd floor of the South tower. She worked on the 95th floor of the North tower last seen September 11th, 2001. If you have any information, please call this number. These signs that were up because people didn't know. People didn't know. Hey, my kids went to my kids went to work, and they worked in the trade center. But I don't have any I don't have any actual physical proof whether they died or not. And you know, there's a lot of broken hearts that you know maybe they have DNA evidence of a finger or something that uh, that was found, or maybe they never got anything, and uh, so they just assume assume they were they were crushed, and you know, uh, uh, and their their remains are in that big pile of pile of uh of steel and ash and all that stuff so it was to say the least it was moving then now it's now they've uh now if you see the museum it's a little bit more commercialized 
where they've uh, encapsulated things in in glass and uh there's a smashed there's a smashed uh fire engine for when when the towers fell it just cremated a a fire engine they have a, the actual fire engine in there and they have uh, some some steps from the that people were coming down that were actually part of the trade center that are right where they were. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, that they've, that they've preserved and there's all kinds of little things that they found in the rubble and it's, uh, and letters and stories about every person that died. Um, it's, it's, it's moving. Um, can't say enough about it. This is this, we can never forget that. Uh, so meanwhile, uh, so like I said, uh, we can be grateful the 9-11 victims who are willing to speak out against the cowardice at the annual Ground Zero Memorial on Wednesday. Nicholas Haro Jr., who lost his mother, Francis, in the attack, had a message for Congresswoman Elon Omar and the squad wearing a T-shirt that had Omar's Some People Did Something quote from earlier this year. If you remember, she said, oh, some people did something, and now we're all being, we're all being uh, scrutinized. So uh, here's what uh, Nicholas Haro Jr. had to say. Some people did something, said a freshman congresswoman from Minnesota, to support and justify the creation of care. Today I am here to respond to you exactly who did what to whom. Madam, objectively speaking, we know who and what was done. There is no uncertainty about that. Why your confusion? On that day, 19 Islamic terrorist members of Al-Qaeda killed over 3,000 people and caused billions of dollars of economic damage. Is that clear? But as to whom? I was attacked. Your relatives and friends were attacked. Our constitutional freedoms were attacked. And our nation's founding on Judeo-Christian principles were attacked. That's what some people did. Got that now? We are here today, Congresswoman, to tell you and the squad just who did what to whom. Show respect in honoring them, please. American patriotism and your position demanded. Forgotten country. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. I, uh, you know what? This is not a time to, uh, to uh, minimize, minimize that, you know, what happened, what happened there was, was not just a little incident. Um, so let's talk about, let's, let's get past nine 11 for a couple of moments while we have some time left, because we had, we got to see uh, the 10 leading Democrat presidential candidates uh, take the stage in Houston on Thursday night uh, for the party's third 2020 presidential debate. And I just have to say, after watching this, I just can't imagine any of those morons going toe to toe with Trump. They're going to be they're going to be spouting unless unless when it comes down to one one uh candidate that they completely about face and change their whole their whole uh their their whole their whole uh message and because anything they said anything they said you know everything they everything they said was was gibberish was 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 just idiocy, and a few times, a few times, I think uh, Amy Klobuchar actually made made uh, made some sense. But everything she said, well, we got to do this and do this and do this with the uh, with the the trade agreements and with Mexico and blah 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 blah. Hey, you know what? Trump already did that. 
that's exactly what Trump's doing. What what is the point of of getting rid of Trump to do exactly what Trump is doing? Cause uh, I don't know, I can't figure it out. But let's talk about some of the things that were going on. Uh, unlike priority pay, unlike prior debates. This one featured all the highest polling candidates. They weren't all split up into two. They they made the uh, the requirements to get on stage a little tougher. So Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, and Bernie Sanders all on the same stage at the same time. They weren't fighting with uh, the flower children. Um, and uh, the candidates' health care plans kicked off the debate. Biden briefly got the best of Bernie Sanders, who looked old. Bernie Sanders looked, he looked tired, old, tattered. Um, I don't think he had a good night, uh, but he, uh, he got the best of, uh, Bernie Biden got the best of Bernie by pointing out the flaws in the way he's marketing Medicare for all. Nobody's yet said how much it's going to cost the taxpayer. I hear this large savings. The president thinks the, uh, my friend from Vermont thinks that the employer is going to give you back. If you negotiate his union all these years, got a cut in wages because you got insurance. They're going to give back that money to the employee. Matter of fact, they will. Well, let me tell you something for a socialist. You got for a socialist. You got a lot more confidence in corporate America than I do. Yeah. Wasn't good time for uh wasn't a good time for uh for Bernie on that one. Um I'll say Biden scored some points there. Unfortunately for Biden though, other parts of the night didn't go so well for him. Julian Castro, who to me has no chance. He has no chance. He he is never gonna be president. Uh but he uh he's getting a lot of crit- criticism for this, but he did make a great point, and it's hard to ignore that Biden is not just old, but he's forgetful. What I support and what you support, Vice President Biden, is that you require them to opt in. And I would not require them to opt in. They would automatically be enrolled. They wouldn't have to buy in. That's a big difference because Barack Obama's vision was not to leave 10 million people uncovered. He wanted every single person in this country covered. My plan would do that. Your plan would not. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. Have to buy in. If you uh, qualify are, for are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Being for getting already what you said just two minutes ago? I mean, I can't believe that you said two minutes ago that they had to buy in, and now you're saying they don't have to buy. You're forgetting that. Now, apparently, all the pundits today, uh, Friday, are uh, are saying that Castro is wrong that he didn't really say that, or they don't really have to buy in, but. Uh, you know, at the moment he got the sound, he got the sound clip and made Biden look kind of foolish and, uh, made him look, oh yeah, oh yeah. And you know, one thing that, that I don't know if anyone's talking about, but Don and I were talking about it. And, uh, and then, uh, my engineer, Dan and I were talking about it this morning was, uh, there was one point when Biden's dentures started coming out and he's pushing his dentures back up. Hey, you're running for president there, buddy. Get some uh, implants. You know what? You can't if you can't afford implants. I know that. I know that none of these guys are poor. I know that none of these guys are poor on stage. You know if you know get some uh, uh, polygrip or something. Get your get your uh, get your dentures so they don't fall out on stage because it was really obvious. He, he's pushing them up on the, with his tongue, and you know he got him. He could got him pushed back up, but you know he was mid sentence when he's pushing them back into his mouth. And uh, and I don't know. Another thing that I saw was uh, Andrew Wang. Andrew Wang, you're running for president. Put a damn tie on. Act like you're presidential. 
I don't think he really wants to be president either. He's just having fun. He's he's a he's a gazillionaire as well, and just having fun telling everybody about uh, giving everybody every every adult human in the in the uh, United States a thousand dollars a month for a guaranteed universal income. Okay, whatever. Uh, when the immigration questions came around, Jorge Ramos from Telemundo. Um, for the Spanish-speaking people, tried to get Biden to apologize for the one thing that Barack Obama did right, deporting immigrants during the 2014 border invasion. That led to another testy exchange with Julian Castro. Did you make a mistake with those deportations? The president did the best thing that was able to be done at the How about time. you? I'm the vice president of the United States. Uh, Secretary Castro. My problem with Vice President Biden, and Corey pointed this out last time, is every time something good about Barack Obama comes up, he says, oh, I was there, I was there, I was there. That's me, too. And then every time somebody questions part of the administration that we were both part of, he says, well, that was the president. I mean, he wants to take credit for Obama's work, but not have to answer to any questions. One person that did not look so good mocking Biden was uh, Kamala Harris who sounded a little like she'd been hitting the bar backstage during the exchange of, of the idea on executive order assault weapons ban. She, she, this, this nauseates me. In recent days, former Vice President Biden has said about executive orders, some really talented people are seeking the nomination. They said, I'm going to issue an executive order, Biden saying there's no constitutional authority to issue that executive order when they say I'm going to eliminate assault weapons, saying you can't do it by executive order any more than Trump can do things when he says he can do it by executive order. Does the vice president have a point there? Some things you can, many things you can't. Let's let the senator answer. Well, I mean, I would just say, hey, Joe, instead of saying, no, we can't, let's say, yes, we can. <laughs> let's be constitutional. I think Kamala Harris's laugh is going to go down with the nauseating laugh from uh, Hillary Clinton that none of us uh, can stomach anytime. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event. Thanks for listening. My name's Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back again with my regular show next week. The opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Summit Funding Incorporated. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921, California DRE ID number 1012658, Arizona MLO license number for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flint. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.